Well, good morning, loved ones. So great to see you here in the house of the Lord this morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Let's rejoice in what the Lord has done in our lives this morning. He's done so much. There's a grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. When I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. There is another in the fire. dead left for dead beneath the walls I'm no longer a slave to my sin anymore should I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning either way I won't bow to the ways of this world and I know
count the joy come every battle cause I know that's where you'll be I'll count the joy come every battle cause I know that's where you'll be I'll count the joy come every battle cause I know that's where you'll be Church, we've come this morning to celebrate, to celebrate the fact that our Savior, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, conquered death, hell, and the grave. This next song is about that. Would you help me sing this morning?
Would you join me in reading this scripture passage? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. See on the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus sent me free. And look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from his side, no greater sacrifice than what he's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. And I praise God for what He's done. Yeah. Sing out to Him, church. Sing for the freedom He has won. Even death is dead and done. His life is overcome. Yes, it is. Speak, say the name above all names. Over every broken place, He is risen from the grave. What He's My soul continually remembers and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness.
we tell of your glory we tell of your mighty works in our life lord the way that you've saved us the way that you are healing our bodies healing our relationships lord it's because of your goodness and your grace and your mercy in our lives
It's so good to see you guys here today. Um, I'm so thrilled to be in church and uh, to see all of you guys here today. I just want to say that it is a blessing to be a part of this church body. And so I'm so stoked to be here. Amen. Um, yeah, you guys can go to clap for that. And so, um, guys, I want to uh, I, I ask you guys this question today. Uh, how many of you guys have ever uh, taken something that wasn't supposed to be about you, and then you just made it all about you? Like, it had nothing to do with you, right? Like, have you ever been in a situation where you started with all the right intentions and somewhere along the line, priorities got skewed and vision was lost and, and somehow along the way, everything just became about you, right? And so I, I have a story uh, just like that. And uh, just to preface this story, um, some people accuse me of being a giant man-child. Um, like, I, I personally think it's unfounded. Like, I, I don't get where, I think it's a baseless accusations. I don't see, I don't see that. I mean, like, I watch cartoons and play video games, and sometimes they get a little too intense in a game of tag. But like I said, completely unfounded, unbased. Um, and so, um, yeah, so some people can accuse me of, of, of being a man-child, and I just say, hey, I'm not a man-child, I'm just a man of culture, okay? Um, I'm, I'm a man of culture. And so, a couple of years ago, I was Christmas shopping at Target, and I was looking for a gift for my younger cousin, Nathan, right? He was maybe five or six years old at the time, and uh, he was a huge fan of Ninja Turtles. And uh, I was looking through the toy aisles at Target, and, and I found this awesome Ninja Turtle playset. It was like four feet, it was like, like maybe like this high, and it had like all of like the cool gadgets and things. It had like a little like car set for the, for the Ninja Turtles in different rooms and the sewer layer, and it was just this amazing toy set. And I was like, man, this is, like, like, I really think this is so cool. I mean, Nathan would think this is really cool, right? Like, this isn't for me at all. And so, um, it's, I remember being so excited to give this gift to Nathan. I remember looking at that Ninja Turtle playset and thinking, this is the perfect gift. Nathan's gonna, he's gonna love me forever. He's gonna think I'm the coolest cousin. Like I'm gonna outdo everybody in my family with this gift. And so I remember uh, Christmas Eve comes and yeah, I'm sorry guys, Mexicans are kind of weird. Uh, sometimes we open up gifts on Christmas Eve. Don't ask me why, I don't know why. Um, and, so, um, and so Christmas Eve comes and my cousin, he's, he's opened up his gifts. And I remember just feeling really proud because as he was opening gifts, like other family members had gotten like socks and clothes and things like that. Like, you know, things that like were actually useful. And, um, and I I was like, well, he's really going to love my gift. He's going to really be super excited about it. And I remember um, as he's opening up that gift that he, uh, when he gets to mine and he sees this giant playset in front of him, he's so excited and he's so thrilled. And he's like, Jacob, when can we get together? And when can we build this? And I'm like, dude, let's do it right now, <laughs> right? Uh, and so we, we, uh, we go to a corner in my grandma's house where we were celebrating Christmas Eve. And I remember we, uh, we dump out all of the, the different sets and pieces on the floor and we start building things. We start, I, I start putting things together. I'm looking at the manual and I'm, and I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to piece it together. And my cousin comes up to me. He's like, hey, Jacob, like, how do I do this one? I'm like, Nathan, get out of the way. I'm trying to, I'm trying to put this thing together. I'm trying to put this playset together. And so I'm going through this, this Ninja Turtle playset and I'm like, okay, Raphael can write, he go right here on the zip line. And Michelangelo, this can be his room right here. This can be Michelangelo's room. And Donatello, I'm, I'm going to have him be in the control center. He's like the smart one. We're going to have him there. And so I'm just going through this place and I'm building it. And unknown to me, my cousin is, is sitting in a corner all by himself, bored and, and lonely. 
And this gift that was meant to be for him, this gift that was supposed to bring him joy was something that ended up becoming about me and, become, and, and ended up becoming about my joy and, and, how, I could, and how I could relive my, my childhood and build this awesome, amazing playset and how I could have a really fun time. And, and, and Nathan wasn't having a good time at all. And so today we're gonna, today we're gonna read a story about how um, this man named Saul takes, takes this, this role as a king and he, and he makes everything about himself, right? Sometimes we can do this in our own lives, right? We can have this come to Jesus moment where we submit our lives to Christ and we say, God, it's not about me, but it's all about you. And we start off on the right foot. We start off with the right priorities and the right intentions, but somewhere along the way, we start to veer off course. And our priorities begin to get misaligned and the words, Jesus, it's all about you, become nothing but lip service. And our worship is shifted from God to ourselves. And so in our text today, we're gonna read about Saul, a man who had taken his eyes off of God and put them on himself. And as a result, he loses what's important. And so, um, and if we're careful, the same thing can happen to us. So as we open up our text today, I want to pose this big question for you guys. Say, if we can put it up on the screen, right? I want to pose this big question. What happens when you make your faith all about yourself? What happens when you make your faith all about yourself? And so um, firstly, what we're going to see here is that we're going to see that we lose sight of the, we lose sight of the will of God. Right? So what happens when you make your faith all about yourself? You lose sight of the will of God for your life. When everything is about us, we no longer have a need for God or his direction in our life. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to, I'm going to do things the way I want to do it. I have no, I have no need to, to, to listen to this God. I, I, I'm trying to live my life. And so we see that we see Saul fall into the same trap, into the same, uh, into the same snare of selfishness. And so if we could, um, if we can open up our, um, our Bibles to first Samuel 14, 16, but just a quick recap, as you guys are turning there, I know some of you guys bought your, your big, your big print Bibles because Pastor Dave tells you to. Um, and so, um, as we open up our Bibles, I just want to give a quick recap right? Um, so for those of you guys who may not have been here, or maybe you're just as forgetful as me. And so we last left off with the nation of Israel being surrounded on three different, uh, on three different sides by the Philistine army. The people of Israel were outnumbered and had resorted to using farm tools as weapons. Like, imagine being outgunned in that way. Not only are you outnumbered, but you don't even have the appropriate tools to do the job. The Philistines are coming with better warriors, with more numbers, and they actually have swords and spears and shields where you just have farm tools, right? Goads and, and, and rakes and shovels and, and things of that nature, right? Talk about an uneven matchup. And despite being so hopelessly outgunned, Jonathan and his armor bearer, armor bearer went out into battle against the Philistines while Saul, the king of Israel, sits comfy under a pomegranate tree. And after seeking the counsel of God, Jonathan is victorious in a battle against a Philistine garrison. And as if to show his favor over Jonathan's venture of faith, God causes an earthquake, showing that it's not only him who's fighting, but God is also on the battlefield with Jonathan. And that leads, up to our, that leads us up to our point right now. Jonathan is on the offensive. Saul is sitting underneath a pomegranate tree. And we take over this, uh, th this narrative right here in, uh, in verse 16 of chapter 14, if we can put it up on the screen. And it says this, And the watchmen of Saul and Gebeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul, said to, so Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went out at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. I want you guys to really pay attention to that, uh, to that line right there. Withdraw your hand. 
And then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. And so we pick up in our text today to find that Saul's watchmen uh, look out to the Philistine uh, to the Philistine camp, and they find it in complete disarray. Something is going on in the camp that's causing them to be in a complete panic. And now this is a moment that you would think Saul would see this as the moment to strike. That this is, that this is the time for, for Saul to come in and, and to, and with his army and for him to strike while the iron is hot. I mean, th- this, this great military force is at its weakest. Any sort of semblance of military structure is now completely gone and the Philistines are wide open for attack. And here's Saul's moment. Time for him to follow Jonathan's footsteps. His son who's gone, who, who's gone courageously into battle at the, uh, at, at the uh, confirmation of the Lord. And here's the, the time for, for Saul to, to follow suit. And however, instead of seizing this opportunity to go on the offensive and attack his enemy, he takes a roll call in his camp. And like, this is like, have you guys ever like had like a complete like facepalm kind of moment? Like, dude, like seriously, what are you doing here? Right? And this is, this is a complete facepalm kind of moment. Like Saul, your enemy has left themselves wide open and you're taking a roll call. Like really? Like, is this really the time for that? What's going on in your head, Saul? Like, why are you wasting your time with a roster check? Now, the Bible doesn't uh, give us uh, Saul's motive for taking this roll call, but um, I I would like to, I think there's a bit of uh, some contextual clues that would show us what Paul's intentions were in this, right? And so uh, Paul doesn't get, so the Bible doesn't give us Saul's motive for taking this roll call, but I would imagine that it's because Saul wanted to find who was, whoever was responsible for this commotion. He's like, who's missing from our camp? Who's, who's the person causing this disarray and this confusion in the, Phil, in the, in the Philistine camp? Like, because Saul understood that whoever was there, right? Saul understood that whoever, whoever was the one causing the problem in the Philistine camp, that this person, that this person would be a hero. That this person would steal all of the glory from Saul. And so you can see the insecurities rising in a, in a, in a man who was, who was just named king. He's like, really? Like, there's somebody trying to steal my thunder? There's somebody trying to, uh, to take my role as king? And so, and so Saul is trying to identify the man who's gone out, the man or men who've gone out and to fight this battle that he should be fighting. And so Saul calls this roll call because he wants to find out who's stealing his glory. As we read further into 1 Samuel, we are going to find that Saul starts to increasingly act out on his insecurities. Whenever someone who is better or more favored than Saul appears, Saul is always trying to posture himself up above that person or trying to get rid of them altogether. And as we study through the book of 1 Samuel together, we're going to see this more and more in the life of Saul. Here we see Saul's jealousy and desire for glory rear its ugly head, and it only gets worse as Saul's life progresses. And so we see that Saul finds out that his son and armor bearer are missing, and from the assembly, uh, that they're missing from the assembly, and decides that it's time to inquire of the Lord, right? So uh, recall in the passage where it says to go bring out the Ark of the Covenant, right? He tells, he tells, the, he tells the, the, the high priest, Ahijah, he says, go bring out the Ark of the Covenant. And, uh, and you might be wondering, like, why would you bring out the Ark of the Covenant? Like, we're, we're in a battle. Like, shouldn't we, like, be bringing out our weapons, right? And so um, this, was, this was actually a common practice in, uh, in Old Testament times when the Ark of the Covenant was in the possession of the people of Israel, that they would go before the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbolic representation of the presence of God, and that the priest would go and he would wear this thing called the ephod, right? And the ephod was this, uh, was this shirt that had this little pocket on it. And inside that pocket, there was these two stone, uh, the, the, these two stone items called the urim and the thummim. 
And as, uh, as Pastor Dave has talked to us in, in previous weeks, if you're here, and if you're not, I'll kind of give you a little bit of, a, 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 of an explanation of what these things are, right? The Urim and the Thummim were ways that the people of Israel would be able to divine the word of God. It was kind of like rolling dice or, or, or casting lots or, or doing something like, you know, if, if this happens, then God is saying this. And if this happens, then God is saying this. Right? It was a way to it was a way to divine the word of God, and it was actually God ordained. Like God in the Old Testament said, "This is the way that I'm going to speak to you through my high priest. I'm going to use the umin and the, the sorry the um, the urim and the thumin to to speak to you guys." And so the Bible tells us that Saul goes on to inquire uh, a word from God. And, and let me tell you guys, there's nothing better to seek, the, to seek the voice of God. There's nothing better to seek the will of God when you're confronted with a hard situation. So I think, I think Saul makes, the, although he's being indecisive, although he's, he's being slow to act, I think he's making the right decision here. And so he goes and, he, and he's trying to inquire of the Lord, see what his next step should be. And the Bible says, right, um, that, he, that he tells him to bring out the Ark of the, the, Ark of the Covenant. Um, and I want you guys to, to pay attention uh, to the text here in verse 18. It says, uh, where Saul is inquire the, inquiring of the Lord, but sees the Philistines are getting thrown into even greater disarray. Right? And here's what he, here's what he, tells, the, uh, here's what he tells the priest. Remember that, that line I told you guys to remember? He says, withdraw your hand. He says, he says don't bother seeking the word and will of God anymore. Like, somebody out there is stealing my glory. Somebody out there is victorious in battle right now, and I'm missing out, and I can't wait for you to give me the word of God, because if I stay here and wait for you to give me the word of God, then somebody else is going to steal the glory, so I need to act right now. And so, uh, and so Saul tells the priest to withhold his hand. And essentially what Saul is saying is to stop inquiring of the Lord. No need to determine whether or not the Lord's favors is with us or not. See, in one sense, it was a good thing that Saul had finally stepped out into the battlefield. For, for the past few chapters, Saul's, uh, Saul has been, has been plagued by indecisiveness. He stayed stagnant while his son takes the lead in going to battle. However, the way, uh, the way that Saul goes into battle is telling of his heart. The fact that he doesn't care to hear the word of God before going to battle shows exactly where Saul's heart is. Saul's primary focus isn't whether or not the Lord is with him. His primary focus is if he doesn't do something quickly, somebody will get credit for the battle that I deserve to win. See, Saul had taken his eyes off of God and shifted them onto himself. Saul is more preoccupied with whether or not he will get the glory rather than whether or not God is in the battle with him. And so what Saul is saying in this passage is that he's not concerned with the plan or the will of God. See, inquiring God's will is an accessory that Saul wears. When it's compatible with his plan, Saul is glad to inquire of the Lord. But the moment that it is no longer compatible with what Saul wants, Saul is willing to bypass seeking the process of seeking God in his life. And see, we, we as Christians, we understand the importance of seeking the will of God. Like, consider Jesus as he was about to get crucified. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Right? That, that's why Paul, he, he urges us to discern what that perfect, that, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. We as Christians understand that, we, we as Christians understand that God's plan for our lives supersedes our own plans. That his will and what he desires for my life is more important than our own desires and our own aspirations. We need, to, we need to learn to Im imitate Jesus in that prayer. God, not my will, but your will be done. God, it's not about me. It's not about advancing my plan. But God, this is about you. Because your plan is better. Guys, when God is in it, there's no way that, that, it, that it could ever fail. Now, I, like, let me, let me, like, put, like, a little, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, like, let me tell you this right now, that God, that doesn't mean that, like, everything's going to turn out the way that you want it, right? But the Bible says, who can resist the will of God? 
when he's in it, like God's always going to do, God's always going to bring about his plan. And so if we're sure that the God, if we're sure that God is backing us, then why would we have any need to fear or be insecure? And so, um, guys, I want, I want to be sure to, uh, to kind of like nip this in the bud right here. What I'm not saying is that we, that we need to divine every single decision in our lives. Like, okay, should I go to, uh, should I go to In-N-Out or should I go to Chick-fil-A? Let me go ahead and, and roll the dice, right? Like, there's no need to do that. Like, obviously, God's will is for you to go to Chick-fil-A, okay? <laughs> like, like there's, there's no need to divine every single circumstance in your life. However, as Christians, we invite the uh, we invite the Lord into every situation. So uh, some of uh, uh, some of our prayers um, for God, some of us pray for God's will, but when He closes that door we wanted open, we object. We say, "What? Like God, I was I was willing to pray for Your will, but only if it included this, right?" When we make our faith about ourselves, we lose sight of God's will. When I'm me-centered, it is no longer a question of what God's plan for my life is. Now it is a pursuit of bringing about the plans that we've made for ourselves. And as Saul becomes more and more preoccupied with himself rather than God, we see that Saul suffers further. Uh, he, he keeps on going further and further into this sin, which brings us to our big question, or sorry, to our, to our second point, right? So what happens when you, uh, when you make your faith all about yourself? Well, firstly, we find that we lose sight of the will of God. And then secondly, we find that we lose sight of the hand of God. We lose sight of, of the ways that God is working in our lives, the hand of God, the way, that, the, the way that God brings about his will in our lives. We become blind to the things that God is doing in our lives. And we'll see that in our text here. If we could open up to uh, verse 21. Okay, and it says, Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, and even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon, and the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. And as we, uh, as we continue on in this passage, we see that the Lord works a total victory for the people of Israel. Right? Like as this battle progresses, we actually see a progression of participation from Israel. So first we see Jonathan. Like he inquires of the Lord and the Lord says, go, I'm going to put it, I'm going to give your enemy over to your hands. And Jonathan charges into the battle. And then once we see that, that, that Jonathan is winning the battle, then Saul makes his move and then he joins the battle. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, the traitors come next, like the people who had sided with the Philistine, Philistines and who were Israelites, but really like, I'm going to be part of the winning team. I don't want to associate with you guys. Like the traitors come out of the woodwork. And then finally, the cowards. Like there were people hiding in the hill country and they were, uh, and they were afraid of the Philistines and even the cowards come out to fight. And so everybody comes out of the woodwork when the battle starts turning in favor of Israel. And like, guys, here's the crazy thing. God lets them join in the battle. God is gracious and merciful enough to allow the traitors and cowards to be a part of his plan. The thing that I love about this passage is that you don't hear Jonathan complaining. You don't hear him talking about how he was, how he was the first to battle and, and how everyone jumped in on the bandwagon and was like, I was the first one here. No, you don't hear any of that from Jonathan. See, God uses prodigal sons and faithful servants and everything in between. God could have, God could have turned the tide of the battle or, or even eviscerated those who had showed up late to the battle, but he doesn't. He allows them all to be a part of his delivering work. And he, and he does the same for us. Whether you've, been living for, whether you've been living for God for five decades or five minutes, God can use you and he has a part for you to play in his grand redemptive story. And so we see that God brings about total victory by the courageous and the cowards alike. 
And this victory isn't a victory that's brought about by tactical military genius or by great strength, but this is an Exodus 14, 14 sort of victory where the scripture says that the Lord will fight for you, that he's gonna go, he's gonna go out before you and he's going to win the battle. This is an, like an Exodus 14, 14 type of victory. It isn't a show of human might or power, but the supernatural working of the hand of God that brings about the victory for Israel. We see this highlighted in verse 23 of our text today, where the scripture says, the Lord saved Israel that day. And you, can, and you can see it right there. The Lord saved Israel that day. Like how many of you guys can attest to times in your life where you're like, yeah, God brought that about. Like that wasn't any of my, that wasn't any of my doing. Like, God, you really came through. God, you, you worked that out for me. Like, I had nothing to do with that. I, I'm, not, I'm not competent enough. I don't have the resources. Uh, I, I wasn't skilled enough. I didn't have the knowledge to do it. But, Lord, you brought it about. And this is the type of victory that Israel has this day, one that wasn't deserved, but one that was given to them by the grace of a merciful father. And so after a hard day of fighting, the Bible tells us that the people of God were absolutely exhausted. That the people of Israel had chased away a Philistine army of 30,000 soldiers that day. And you would expect that after a long, successful day of fighting and winning the battle against the Philistines, that this would be the time for celebration. Like, um, like, like how, like this would be the time for them to bring out the banquet table. Like this is the time for the DJ to come out, like open up the dance floor. Like this is, this is the celebration time. This is, this is the time where everybody gets hyped and everybody's excited. We actually see a, a totally different story. Verse 24 tells us that Saul makes an oath before God with the people. And he says that anyone who eats food that day will be cursed. Again, I don't know about you guys, but if I spent the entire day fighting, like I would want a feast, I would want some food. Like how many, how many of you guys have ever been tired? How many of you guys have ever been hungry? How many of you guys have ever been both at the same time? <laughs> Wasn't a pleasant situation, was it? <laughs> right? And so after this day of fighting, Saul puts this, um, he puts this extra burden on the people. And I want you, if we, if we could actually keep that up there right, right now. Right? And so he says, cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. Saul takes a moment that should be joyful and makes it about himself. Instead of saying, hallelujah, praise God, God has delivered us out of the hands of the Philistines, Saul says, we aren't going aren't to eat until I've had my vengeance. I want you guys to note that right there. I am avenged. Whereas the scripture says, the Lord saves. Saul is saying, it's about me. Like, it's about me getting my vengeance. It's not about the hand of God. It's not about the work of the Lord. This is, me, this is about me getting what's owed to me. When we make our faith about ourselves, we lose sight of the hand of God. Saul couldn't recognize the victory that the Lord brought about because he was too focused on himself. Saul may have been a king, but beneath the veneer of this tall, strong king was the insecurity of a small boy. For Saul, his insecurity expressed itself through self-preservation. Saul is insecure that someone else will get the glory. So he waits for, he, he waits for Jonathan to take charge in the battle. And, and, then, and then once Jonathan takes charge, he, 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 he's given over to, to this indecisiveness. Do I wait for the word of the Lord or do I jump in or what do I do? And, and eventually decides, hey, I'm not going to wait for the word of God. I'm just going to go into the battle. And then once he actually has received the victory, once he's actually received the victory, he turns the whole thing on itself and it's like, no, it's not, a, it's not, about, it's, it's, it's not, a, it's not about what the Lord has done. It's about me getting my vengeance. It's about, it's about me getting the glory for myself. Which brings us to our big idea today. Insecurity vanishes when we realize we are secure in God. Insecurity vanishes when we realize we are secure in God. See, this past chapter has been a comparison story between two men. Last week, we got Jonathan, the courageous warrior, 
who is willing to wait on the, way, on the word of the Lord, and then once he gets the okay, goes into a battle that is hopeless, goes into a venture of faith that is by all, by all standards, by all human reasoning, insane. And then we have Saul, a man who is so overcome by his insecurity that he can't stand the sight of somebody getting the glory, but yet's not willing to do the fighting himself. And so he rides on the coattails of those who are courageous. Saul, a man, Saul, a man who's insecure to lo- who uh, leads him in, uh, in to losing sight of God, and Jonathan, a man whose confidence in God leads him to great courage and great faith. I'm going to ask you this question today, guys. Have you ever been stifled? Have you ever been made stagnant in insecurity? Have you ever been in a situation where just God, like, I don't know what to do. I, 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 I don't think I'm equipped enough for the battle. And we use every single cover-up that we can. We, 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 uh, we try to make ourselves look big and we try to make ourselves look strong and we try to like make ourselves look better than we are, but really what we're hiding behind, really what we're hiding is this insecurity that says, I'm not good enough. That says, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the one fit for this. Just a moment of, of vulnerability and, and of just speaking to you guys, you know, personally. I remember when I was offered this job as, as our middle school pastor, I remember being intimidated by the prospect of being a youth pastor. I was like, really, can I cut that? Can I do that? I remember going home at night and just being, and being so, and just being so worried. I was like, man, I'm going to have to do this and this and that. And I don't think I'm equipped at all to do it. And I would go up and I would try to show a face and I would try to be like, okay, you know, guys, um, you know, I 100% got this. You can put your trust in me. You can put your faith in me. I'm going to do this. We're going to get it done. And all the while inside, I'm just like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't, I don't know if I can cut this. I don't know if I have what it takes. And that led me to this place of prayer. That led me to, the, to precisely the pace that God was trying to take me that he, where he said, yes, Jacob. You can't do this. Yes, Jacob, you're 100% right. You're not equipped for the fight, but I never made you to be equipped for the fight. I made you so that you can trust in me. I made you so that you can take your insecurities and, and take them to the foot of a God who's secure and that in me, you can be secure. Let me ask you to, this today, church. What has you insecure? In what ways do you seem, do you feel like you are inadequate? In what ways do you think, God, there's no way that, that you can use a person like me? I invite you guys, take those insecurities before God. Let's go ahead and pray today, church. God, as we read through your word, we thank you, Lord, for the example of Jonathan, a man courageous in his faith, a man who must have been shaking in his boots as he stood before an army of 30,000 soldiers, but in his heart knew, hey, God can win whether, whether by few or by many. A man whose security was rooted not in himself, but a man whose security was rooted in God. God, I also thank you for the story of Saul who shows us how we can get this wrong. A a man whose life looks a lot more like mine at times. God, I'm willing to admit it. I look more like Saul than I do Jonathan very often. God, sometimes I am, I am unwilling to lay my securities before you. Sometimes I'm unwilling to, to, put my, to put my insecurities in the hands of a secure God. But I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you don't turn us back. I thank you that you give us the opportunity 
God, to come to you in our weakness, and that in our weakness, Lord Jesus, your strength is perfected, Lord, that you don't turn us back. God, that in the battle, you had the cowards and the traitors, and you didn't reject them, Lord, that you allowed them to participate. And I thank you, God, because that was me. I was a traitor. I was a coward. I was a soul. I was a person who didn't belong on the battlefield. I was a person who was timid and afraid and wasn't willing to seek the voice of the Lord, but still you accepted me and you used me. Lord, and I realize today, God, that there are people here in this room who feel the same exact way. God, and that you can you can use them. God, that you can take the, the insecurity of a Saul and turn it into the courage and faith of a Jonathan. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, Jacob. That was awesome. You know, Jacob's message today made me think of this idea that, you know, you can have Christ in your life, but not on the throne of your life. When you become a Christian, you um, admit you're a sinner, you turn from those sins and repent of them, and you accept Jesus' offer to forgive you that was paid for through his death on the cross. And we do this part, we make him the Lord of our life. Lord means king, the person in charge, he's the leader, right? So we invite him into our life and we put him on the throne of our life and we submit to him, we begin following him. Um, that's what it means to be a Christian. But here's what we do. We take Jesus, who we still believe in and we're still counting on, depending on for our salvation, and we tend to take him off the throne and put ourselves back on the throne, a lot like Saul did in that battle. Um, and we're, we want to call the shots and we don't want to be dependent on God. Um, and maybe someone here today needs to just turn back to God and say, God, today I'm going to put you back on the throne of my life and I'm going to submit to you in all things. I'm going to follow you. You're my leader. You're my Lord. Maybe there's someone today who Christ isn't in your life at all. He's on the outside. You're not a Christian. You're just here checking this out. And may I suggest that you're not here by accident? I think you're here because uh, the God of the universe is pursuing you. Um, and you may have just accepted an invitation to visit, but uh, God wants you and his family. Maybe you feel God drawing you to himself today. And if you're ready to turn from your sins, repent, accept his forgiveness, and put him on the throne of your life. Uh, that's all you do to become a Christian, and you just say yes to him. Um, if that's you, uh, would you please, if you're in this room, go to the welcome counter on your way out. There's some folks there who'd like to talk to you. Just let us know that that's where you're at. We want to be there with you, pray with you, help answer any questions, um, all that. And if you're online, go to campcc.net, click on next steps at the top of the page. All right, we're going to give back to the Lord right now. Uh, it's one of the ways we worship Him. Um, for those of you who are believers and we want to follow His Word and what it says, uh, it's how all the ministries of our church are supported uh, here through the generosity of you guys. So thank you for that. Um, you can give by putting an offering in the offering box, going to campcsa.net and click give at the top of the page or texting the amount you'd like to donate to 84321. If it's the first time texting, there's a one-time setup. After that, it remembers you. It's pretty easy. All right, before we go, let's check out what's coming up next at Camp CC. Hey, Camp CC, I'm Molly Kibble, and I serve in the children's ministry here. I'm glad that you are here with us today. If today is your first time with us, welcome. If it's your second time, welcome back. If you are a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. All you have to do is grab a connection card, fill it out on both sides and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby. Or you can scan this QR code with your phone's camera and let the welcome counter know that you filled it out digitally. You can also let us know how we can pray for you. If this is your second time filling out a connection card, we have a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. Just let us know it's your second time at the welcome counter and it's yours. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of cool things coming up at CamCC. Who will you invite to come and check us out? August 11th through 14th, Middle School Catalina Summer Camp. Kayaking, snorkeling, hiking, games, prizes, and more on the island of Catalina. This will be a week you do not want to miss. We have some spots left and you don't want to wait, so register now at campcc.net slash Catalina 
or for more info, contact Jacob at CamCC.net. August 13th, Awana registration begins. Awana is a fun, engaging Bible club for kids ages 3 years through high school. Registration can be done online at camcc.net slash Awana or on the church patio. Awana begins on September 7th. Wednesday, August 16th, worship night at 7 p.m. These are powerful nights of encountering God's presence. They continue to grow, so get here early and grab a seat. And kids, check this out. Birth through PK is PJs and popcorn. Come in your pajamas and K through fifth, back to school bash. We're talking worship, scavenger hunt, and root beer floats. This is a night you won't want to miss. For more info, contact Katie at campcc.net. October 20th through 22nd, Women's Retreat. Save the date, ladies. It will be here before you know it. For more info, connect with Allison at campcc.net. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. During the message, I kept hearing that song, I Need Thee Every Hour. Um, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with it. If not, you should look it up and listen to it on your way home. Um, but basically, every single verse starts with, I need thee every hour, and it was just a good reminder for me to constantly acknowledge that need for, for Jesus and um, for His work in my life. And I know that um, continuously acknowledging that will help me stay focused on Him. So um, let's see, we are um, going to have coffee and donuts outside on the patio, so make sure you hang around for that. And we will see you guys next Sunday. Have a good day.